go a little bit old school after that kind of stuff happens. Just let's just close shop and go home. Amen. Uh, it's pretty awesome stuff. You can't improve on what God does. So I'm not going to attempt to do that. I'm just going to attempt to kind of ride the, ride the coattails of what's already happening. Amen. Um, I have something this morning, and I know this is uh, fun. I'm a, I like fun, and I try to be sensitive to situations and stuff like that. Uh, but I thought this would be kind of fun just to read a couple of things here, just to kind of get ourselves a little lightened up this morning and see what we're going to be speaking on. But I got this from uh, Jack, it's Jack Handy, and those of you who knew Jack Handy is, it's from uh, Deep Thoughts. And I thought this, I could kind of, you could ponder some deep thoughts this morning. Uh, it just says, if you ever crawl inside an old hollow log and go to sleep, and while you're in there, some guys come and st- seal up both ends and then put it on a truck and take it to another city, boy, I don't know what to tell you. That's great wisdom right there. Another one says, I hope if dogs ever take over the world and they choose a king, they don't just go by size, because I bet there are some chihuahuas with some good ideas. (laughs) Before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. And one last one says, uh, it takes a big man to cry, but it takes a bigger man to laugh at that man. (laughs) Oh, that's cold. Amen. Would you turn to someone this morning, greet them in the name of the Lord, and just say it's great to be in God's house. If we walked away right now this instant, we could say we've been in the presence of God. Man, it's awesome. We can just celebrate the goodness of Jesus. This morning I'm going to be speaking to you on uncharted grace. And if you would like to read along with me, you can go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. And immediately people that are familiar with that passage, something has already clicked in your head, you already know that, already have it memorized on your fridge, uh, whatever it may be. But I'm going to read verses 7 through 10, and then we're going to uh, kind of break the seal on this thing and get into it. Reading in the NIV version, it says... Or because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the powers, that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's just pray over reading God's word. Heavenly Father, I want to praise you for the manifest presence, Lord, this morning. I thank you that, Lord God, that you condescend to us, God, that you lift us, Lord, where we are. And God, I pray this morning that, Lord, every life, Lord God, that has received, God, will hold on to those good things you put in their hearts this morning. But I pray furthermore, God, I pray that, God, your word will equip us, Lord God, will strengthen us, Lord God, and will help us, Lord God, for the things that we face ahead of us. I give you the praise and I give you the thanks for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Um, this morning, in speaking about uncharted grace, um, 
I find this point of reference to Paul the Apostle. And uh, in this infamous passage that many have read and many have held on to and has comforted them in one time or another, I want to kind of take a little bit, little bit closer look at what has happened to Paul and brought him to this kind of stage in his life. If you go to the 11th chapter of this same book, Paul begins to describe to the Corinthian church that he's been through some hard times already. This is not his first rodeo. This is not, he's, this is not the first bull he's ever been on. He's faced a lot of difficulties. He's been persecuted by people that he trusted. He's been in trouble through natural situations, on rivers and by bandits. He's been beaten. He's been persecuted. He's been, he's been uh, hit with rocks, stoned in an Old Testament way before the name changed. You know, he's been lashed. He's been through so many different uh, types of circumstances, and yet Paul's still standing. So if anybody we could look at and say, man, if there's an example of what it is to be a faithful servant that has been through some things, seen some things, could tell you a story or two, it's this man by the name of Paul. But yet we just take a few verses down in chapter 12, and Paul kind of opens up his heart to us. He doesn't just talk about his experiences. Wow, you mean you were in trouble rivers. There's some guys you tell stories like this, they don't feel sorry for you or have pity. They're like, man... That's incredible. Tell me the element of danger. It kind of gets the adrenaline rushing. It gets the, the senses are alert. And now when you were not really paying attention, now you're paying attention. But now Paul goes from this and he gets down and he opens up his heart and he says, let me tell you something, man. He says, all this stuff that God has blessed me with, you know, just in case you got a little bit of envy there or you, in case you got an idea thinking that that's something that you wish you had, I got to share something with you. He says, there's a price. And he said, because of the revelations that God has shown me. God hasn't given me a special seat or a special room to sit in with a special status, but in fact, my status is, is this, is God, that there was sent to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, and he says it became a thorn in my flesh, and I prayed three times that God would take it away from me. Now, I want to pause right there for a second. Anybody else tells me they prayed three times, I believe you. And I'm, and, and, and I'm not saying that your prayers are weak, but I'm saying if I tell you I prayed three times, you, I hope you can believe me. But when Paul the Apostle tells me he's prayed three times, a guy who's prayed and seen people healed, and a guy who's prayed and seen different, different signs and wonders happen through his ministry, I would say, man, you know, something, you know, if he prays, God's listening. Man, he's got a heart, a hotline right into heaven. But Paul said, I prayed three times. And it wasn't that God wasn't listening the first time. It wasn't that God wasn't listening the second time, and it wasn't that God wasn't listening the third time. What it was is that God had determined that he was not going to lift this area that was unfamiliar for Paul. That while stuff that Paul was acquainted with difficulty and hardship, he was not acquainted with this hardship. He was not acquainted with this challenge. Saints, may I pause here and just say there this morning that we all know that there is unpredictable things that happen but nevertheless, there are some areas and some ground that we come onto, that we step onto in our life and Christian experience that we don't know how to rebuke that devil. We don't know how to tell him to take a hike. We don't know how to take, make the thoughts stop. We don't know how to make the desires take a back seat. We don't know how to deal with it because we prayed. We went in the prayer line. We agreed, we called the prayer hotline, we gave to some ministry, we did something else, and here we are, and it still hasn't changed. And after Paul had prayed three times, then God answered him. 
And he gave him an answer that is one that you and I almost cringe at, but at the same time are grateful for. And that cringing answer is, I'm going to tell you something, Paul. I'm not going to remove it. But what I'm going to tell you is this. My grace is adequate for what you're facing. That the grace that has brought you through your previous difficulties, the grace that has seen you over the terrain of these hard places, this grace is enough for this fight. This grace is enough for the new ground that you are taking and the new ground you're going into. Now, you see, that gets my attention. And so I just want to take a quick overview look here because I want to kind of take the look of Paul, and I want to look at Jacob here in a moment. But I think sometimes that we like to look at grace as the great ark of God. And what I mean by that is this, is that when God did his work of grace, he covered once and for all everything that any man has ever done, ever thought of doing, ever would do, ever could imagine doing. There's nothing that escaped the shadow or the confines of the cross that Jesus was upon. And there's this arch of grace that somehow when we speak the word grace, often what we're thinking of is God's overarching work that he did through redemption, through salvation, through the deliverance that he wrought through the person of Christ, and it couldn't be more true. But you see, when we live only in the ark of grace and we don't understand another aspect of that grace, then what happens is, is you go into two camps. I know I'm going to screw up. I know I'm going to mess up. And it really doesn't matter because God's provided grace. So I'll just stay under this umbrella of grace. Yeah, uh, you know, I'll just won't be too concerned about these elements, but I'll just live under this umbrella of grace because grace is ark. Don't really understand it, but I get it that this grace covers this. And then there's another camp that's under this that sees it a little bit differently and realizes that, yes, I do stumble because of my human frailty. Yes, I do fall because I am flesh and I am blood. But yet, through Christ, I am a partaker of divine nature. And because I partaker of divine nature, I cannot fall when I slip and I'm pursuing God out from under this umbrella. This is an umbrella that moves with me, that as long as my heart and my desire is to keep in pursuit of the things that God has willed for me as a believer in Christ, I may stumble out, but grace keeps covering me. I may slip, but grace doesn't throw me away. But the other person, they just kind of do, do this like mama's apron strings. They want to, they get a little careless and licentious, and they want to say, it's okay if I got bombed on Saturday because I'm under grace. My friend, you've left your grace umbrella somewhere else. Grace does not cover our in disobedience that is done deliberately and with intent to move out and from under the things that God has called us to live under. You see, so God wants us to have an arcing link to grace, but he has more than that because we must come unto, secondly, the grace link, a link to grace. We must understand that if all it is is that it's out here, this theological truth that is over me like the sky or like the clouds or the umbrella, that may be good for a time and it may bring me comfort when I'm, when I'm struggling, but at the same time, it isn't enough to help me start overcoming in my daily steps so I'm stuttering less and stumbling less than I was before. What I need is a grace link. I need to realize that Christ has worked so that I may have a link to grace. I might have a personal connection to the grace of God. Paul knew this, 
and he was sharing it with the Corinthian church that there is a link with grace that you can have that is not just something you're trying to stay under because you don't want to go back in the world, but indeed it is a link into your heart that in your fiercest fight, in your most difficult temptation, in your most, in your most debilitating and humiliating failure, that grace still abides that grace still has not somehow diminished or has somehow lost its cold and lost its power. But in fact, it is in that moment, in my weakest point, that God's grace is able to show greater than ever the power and the ability of God. There's a story in Greek mythology of a man by the name of Theseus who went to, to stop the, 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 the evil meanderings of this King Minos who was taking 14 young people and putting them into a maze that had been created. And he would put these people into a maze, and he knew, and everyone knew there was no way out of that maze. You just put them into the maze, and eventually they would meet, a, a, they would meet something in the middle, which we'll talk about, hopefully remember to talk about later, then in the middle that they would face, and they would ultimately end up dead. This maze, you can never get out of the maze. So Theseus was getting ready to go into the maze, and he really had no clue how he would, he had a lot of will and a lot of determination, but he did not have much knowledge. He just knew he wanted to overcome the maze. So as he's getting ready to go to the maze, he was provided by the maker of the maze, be it someone else, a piece of thread or, or a spool of thread. And he smuggled the thread inside, and what happened is he told everyone, I want you to wait here, and I want you to hold the thread, and I'm going to go through the maze. And as I go through the maze, as long as the thread holds, he says, I'll find my way back out of this maze. And as he pursues and goes through, he finds the dark places in the maze. He finds the confused different places, and he'd go in circles in different parts of the maze, but he still had the thread. And stopping there in that part of the story, I would say this. Grace is greater and stronger than a thread, but it is also the link that will keep you through the maze of your own insecurities, your own weaknesses, your own struggles to bring you home again. So with that, let's take a look at Jacob. Jacob is an Old Testament parallel of the life of Paul. What we see here in the life of Jacob is this. Is that first of all, Jacob was a man who was born under very unique circumstances. He was born in some circumstances that were quite peculiar indeed. His, his father was married to Rebekah, and they were not having children, and they were supposed to be the carrying on of a great blessing that God would bring about blessing through this lineage, and ultimately the Messiah's lineage, but to something they were not true clued in on. But here his wife can have a baby, and he prayed and he prayed, and in the middle of the prayer, and they, God answered the prayer, and Rebecca became pregnant, and, and she was having all kinds of problems. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I haven't been a dad and seen, you know, the kind of bumps and weird stuff that happens on a woman's stomach when she's pregnant. You know, I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, this is kind of weird, but at the same time, it must have been beyond usual. She was kicking, and there was struggling, and there was a wrestling match going on in her belly. She didn't understand what was happening, and she prayed about it, and God answered and said, there's two nations in your stomach. There's two nations, and it says one is going to overpower the other one, and the elder will serve the younger. That's great, but in the meantime, she's dealing with all of this, right? And so the time came to give birth, and she gave birth to her son Esau, who came out first, then Jacob. First thing we need to understand on these landmarks of uncharted areas and graces that suffering and struggle are an indiscriminate in our lives. Somehow it doesn't care if you're rich or poor. doesn't care if you've got good-looking cars or got bad-looking cars. doesn't care if you're beautiful or unattractive. doesn't care what side of the tracks you're born on. doesn't care where you are, what lineage, what your backstock is. It doesn't really care about that. Struggle is indiscriminate in every life. 
And here in this life of these people that were, of these babies being born and Rebecca and her struggle in her womb, Esau would come out first. And Jacob had a hold of his heel. And he literally came out with his hand on the heel of his brother. And so they named Esau Red because of the way he looked, who would grow up to be a hairy man, what would be called a man's man. And Jacob would grow up, and it said that he dwelt in tents. You see, the theme of suffering is a thread in our human existence. It's like this. When you look at a quilt, you see the thread, and the thread disappears. You see it again, and it disappears. It goes up, and it goes down. It goes above, and it goes under. And just when you think you're not going to see it again, it comes up again. Because that's just the nature of what's under the sun. But here it was in their lives, they were facing the struggle of what to do with these two boys. They knew that they were blessed. They had two sons. But something began to happen in their life. A little separation began to happen inside of the struggle. And that is this, is that mom began to love Jacob and dad began to love Esau. And dad loved Esau some, for some very, very uh, you know, very, very good, uh, reason, obvious reasons, very practical reasons. And that was this, Esau got what he liked, and Jacob, he wasn't that guy. And so Esau was not just because he was a man's man, but he, his daddy had an appetite for what he hunted for. He loved the vention. He loved the food. So his, his, his Esau would do the hunting and the presenting, and Jacob was kind of in, intense. So we see this kind of division here. Now, the grace link in these situations of our struggle is this. God is not surprised or unfeeling in your struggle, but offers his grace to resist the evil it seeks to impose on your life. There's no greater evil in our life that can come in our life than having that struggle and that situation in our, in our lives, and we're, seems like we cannot reconcile it. We cannot bring it back to the center. And Jacob was on one side, and Esau was on the other side. These two would always meet. They're representative of a natural life and a spiritual life. They represent a life that every human being has. They don't represent the practical and the impractical. There's nothing practical about Esau. He got outwitted twice. He was a smart, muscle-bound man that didn't have a lot of brains. He knew how to kick men in the tail and make them do what he wanted them to do, but he wasn't as smart as his brother was. And you see, the natural man never is. The man that is marred by our sinful nature is never that smart. He may be street smart. He may be smarter than the other guy, but somebody's smarter than his smart. Natural man is always in a position to be outwitted by himself, by something else, or some other thing that's going on in his life. So that when we walk by the natural man, we always find ourselves falling into more struggles than we need to. It's not that we will ever eliminate the contest of struggle, but we find ourselves in more problems than we do otherwise. Whereas Jacob, we don't see Jacob as the safe man and the, and the mama's boy as he's been unpoorly, poorly kind of categorized. It just simply was is that his dad loved Esau and his mom loved Jacob. The difference was is this, is why Isaac was the carrier and the patriarch of the patriarch blessing. His mom was the one who carried him. So she knew him. She knew his temperament like any mama does. She, know that, she knows that look. She knows that thing about him. So that she was more intimately attached in many ways to Jacob than Esau was to Isaac. He went on the second one. I'm going to try to watch her time here. Second thing about it is this. In the uncharted areas of grace that we need grace for, our relationships can become predictably dysfunctional. 
Why do you say predictably, Tim? Because let's get honest, folks. If we take a step back, not everything, but there's a lot of stuff that happens that when we look back, we just don't talk about it because we know this led to this, that led to that, that led to that. Now, there is such a thing as beating yourself up and going back and armchair, armchair quarterbacking yourself after things have happened, and you can't live down what you, what, what's done is done, right? But at the same time, after you've hit me once, you know, oh, man, woe is me, right? You know, I don't even remember all the same, but woe is me. But, you know, you do it again, you know, it's my fault. You know, I can't remember. I didn't get it right. But, but the point is, is this is that it's one thing to go down that road once. It's another thing for it to happen again and again. You see, there's an illustration that says what you need is, you know, the flesh and spirit are like two dogs. And if you starve one dog, then you have to feed the other dog, and the other dog will be stronger. There's only one problem with that illustration. And that is this, that people never think about desperation. And if you're desperate enough, you'll do whatever you got to do. That desperate, hungry dog will find a way to beat that fed dog if you're desperate enough. So it has to be more than desperate, has to be more than just, oh, we just feed, feed the spirit man. Jacob was well fed, but he understood this. He had to up his game. So time came to hand the blessing down. All right, and here comes Isaac. Isaac is gonna bless Esau anyway. Let me ask you this morning. Here's Esau, not the smartest guy. Married two ladies that the scripture says became a thorn in the side of his mother and father. And still his daddy loves that venture. Keep it coming, man. We're still good. Don't worry about Brother Jacob. I'm still going to pass that blessing down. He had already made a lot of decisions that did not look right. That natural man always will. And here he is, and he's in private trying to consorting. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the blessing. Thank God for, for women, because she was eavesdropping. And I'm not saying all women eavesdrop, but thank God for this woman that did. And she heard what was happening, and she got Jacob set up, sent him in. Here's what I think is interesting, and I'm not going to belabor this point. Jake, Isaac recognized the voice of Jacob, but he knew Esau's touch more than he did Jacob's touch. Jacob told his mother, I'm smooth and Esau's hairy. He's going to know. And she said, no. Listen, the dude reached out. His eyes were dim. This is why he had to do this. So as he reaches out and touches, he couldn't tell the difference between goat hair and Esau. Esau was straight hairy. Brother, that's bad, man. I don't know. I don't know how the brother had two wives, ended up with three. I don't know. I guess they'd love curly hair. I don't know what's up. You know, just plain touching him, whatever. But the point being is this. So when he touched him, he recognized the touch of Esau. He did not recognize the touch of Jacob. He didn't have to, somebody says, because his arm was off. But he knew the voice, not the touch. When you are used to feeding your natural man, you will not recognize when the Spirit of God's trying to speak to you. The Spirit of God will try to intervene in your life, and you'll say, that voice sounds familiar, but when you try to engage it, it will feel weird. That's weird. That church stuff is weird. That God stuff is weird. No, you just have not familiarized yourself with the ways of God. So you, when God starts to intervene and godly people start talking to your life, you think they're freaky and weird and spacey and spooky because you are used to going and feeding your appetite off the natural man. So Jacob was in trouble now. He had stole the blessing from his father. The grace link in this situation is this. Stay connected and strive for connection with those who desire God's best as the highest importance for your life. Jacob didn't have his dad, but he had his mom who wanted the best for him. He did. And which if you'll find this, if you ever get a chance to read this, and I'll try not to belabor this, but basically, Isaac 
Never read once in the writ of Scripture. Never is it even hinted at nor referred to that Isaac rebuked Jacob. Never once. Because I think there was something that he knew on the inside that was telling him otherwise. You never read it once. When he gives the blessing, he doesn't say, you conniving, sneaky snake. He never says that once to Jacob. He never says that. Why? He's blessed him, and now it's time to send him. He's, now he's trying to protect him. Look at how his loyalty changed from the natural to concern for his son, represent the spiritual. Now he wanted to protect him. He sends him off, and he goes on an adventure of sorts, which brings us to our next point. I'm hurrying, folks. Uncertainty and insecurity are imps of isolation. Jacob gets sent out, but he doesn't get sent out with his bestie friend. Guys don't have besties, by the way. You better not. God bless you. You have best friends. Thank you. <laughs> All right? But he sends him out into the wilderness. He sends him out into this wilderness by himself, and he's on this trip of isolation. Isolation will bring out things in you you had no idea were nesting in your life. Jacob is used to the comforts of his home. He's got the blessing, but now he knows his brother Esau wants to kill him. He said so. It got back to him, so they sent him off. He's out here in the middle of nowhere. He's headed to his relative's house, but between him is 400 miles of wilderness and terrain that he's got to cross. And in the middle of that terrain, as you get into uncharted areas, this landmark of isolation will work on you and start to bring things out of you. I thought I only did that once. I didn't realize that would come back and haunt me. Not as a memory, but now as a revived fire in my life these things begin to come back and begin to do their work. When I was three years old, yes, I got a memory. When I was three years old, my grandpa took me out back. My grandpa had this huge chicken coop. He took me out back and took me in there and he walked me around this yard, showed me the rooster, showed me the chickens, showed me this really cool tree that had a knot in it. And man, the chickens, one chicken would get down in that knot and lay an egg and leave. And he would always ever take me in there and show me, let's take the knot. We'd go and see... That one chicken would get down there and lay an egg down in that knot. Well, one day when Grandpa, we were visiting Grandma and Grandpa, I remember I was looking out that chicken coop and I thought to myself, you know what, I can do this. I don't need Grandpa to go with me in this coop. You know, I'm a big chicken farmer now. So I got up and I went up and without telling any adults, I decided I was going to go out in the chicken coop, big old yard. And I went in there, closed the door behind me and I'm walking around. Looking, saying, look at this. This is, this is awesome. This is where the action happens. That's what you think when you're three years old. <laughs> so I'm standing out there, and all of a sudden, something possessed me. Something grabbed me and started jerking me this way, started jerking me that way, started throwing me everywhere. I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't know about demon possession. I didn't know what that was. But I was getting thrown everywhere, and I was, my head was going this way and that way and the other. Well, what had happened was is the yard rooster decided he didn't want me in there. And he jumped up on my head, and he started flogging me and beating me in the head as hard as he could. And I was screaming and hollering, saying, you know, calling to my grandpa, come and get me. I was like, grandpa, grandpa, as best, I, best as I could. And all of a sudden, I heard something, and I couldn't get him off my head. He was on my head. I could not get him off my head. And I just remember just blurry seeing a blur, and I saw, heard something. I knew the gate was opening, and Grandpa came in and whacked the rooster off my head. And, and uh, of course, being a kid and being a smart one, I said, Grandpa, get the gun. Get the gun. 
kill the looster. Kill the looster, God. Kill, kill the looster, Grandpa. And he did. He didn't get the gun, but he killed him, and we ate him for dinner that night. <laughs> oh, I love my grandpa. But see, I isolated myself. I put myself in a situation I thought I could handle. I don't need anybody else. I've been shown the ropes. I can handle this business. When I got out there, something got a hold of me that I could not break free from. In isolation, those kind of things will take place in the uncharted areas of our life. Like Joshua told Israel one time, you've never been on this road before. You've never been down this path before. And if you think you're smarter than the rooster, you're not. You're going to need some help. Because we're like the children of God in those situations. We need God to come in and rescue us. Hold on, grace link. Hold on to the powerful knowledge and awareness that God is with you in your isolation. Jacob had a dream. God assured him that he would be with him. Jacob woke up and said, I didn't even know God was here. And from that moment began a faith journey with Jacob that would take him forward. On to the next one. I'm only going to touch a couple points here. we got to get going. The homecoming is short-lived and the grind is long-term. In a nutshell, that means this. He meets his future bride-to-be, wakes up one morning, realizes after seven years of work from his brother-in-law that uh, he's started a life with a, a different woman. <laughs> Woo, man. Gets his wife he wanted in about a week and works another seven years. Works 20 years for this guy, and he gets the joy of having his love and the misery of the unending process. There's no end in sight. You know what? Uh, David had made a statement. He said, talked, about, uh, the pe talked about people that had, you know, come against him. when he, was, he wasn't talking about sin and different stuff, but he was just talking about, you know, when will this be over? When will this end, God? When will this thing change, right? But finally, after 20 years and a lot of different situations happening we don't got time to get into, which 20 years, by the way, think of that. <laughs> he finds himself ready to move on and to move out of that situation. His homecoming was short-lived. It's a weird place where good things and bad things are happening at the same time. That's uncharted territory. Now, that happens all the time to all of us. But I'm talking about when you feel like you cannot break out of that rut. We're not talking about a job, you get a new job and it changes. No, we're talking about suddenly you're in an emotional state and you don't know why and you can't break out. And it, people can explain to you how you got there. Hello, it doesn't really matter at this point. How do I get out of here? So these, this, this was going on and finally the break happens and he's on the move. We're doing a condensed version here. On the condensed version, he's moving on with his family he has a bitter rival with his brother-in-law. He's broke free from that. Now he's on the go trying to head somewhere else. And we get to the fifth one. Go ahead, jump it up there. Number five. I'll read it. And now. <laughs> All right. Avoid the losses and confront the unavoidable. You see, now this looks pretty good. 20 years of this, surely now. Things are going to be looking up for me. I'm independent. I'm on my own. I can make this happen. Things are great. That's what young men think. That's what people that are looking for a new start think. Thank you. They're doing a great job. Awesome. But something happens on Jacob in this journey. He finds out he's going to meet somebody he hasn't seen for a very long time. And the last time he see him, he heard the words, I'm going to kill you. 
and to his brother Esau. And he finds out not only is Esau Esau, but now he's got 400 men with him, and they're coming this way. Jacob goes into panic mode. He's got his family. He's going to start hiding them. He starts taking his children, hiding them, stretching them, moving them all different locations, trying to hide them. And he's thinking, I'll send gifts, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And he's trying everything he can. Isn't it funny how that we get into appeasement mode when we don't know what to do? Not always. We either get in anger, rage mode, or appeasement mode. And if you're afraid, you go into appeasement mode. So he's trying to make peace with his brother Esau. But Esau's not happy. He said, no, I'm going to come and pay you a visit. Oh, my gosh. It's about to get real. So he goes and hides him, and he spends the night alone on the river Jabbok. You see, there will come a time in uncharted areas in our life when the struggle you have managed for your whole life, you're going to meet face to face. You're going to meet yourself because it's connected to who you are. And you thought you had got away from that, but somehow you're going to meet yourself again. And it's going to be that old self. It's going to be the one that wants control. There's always going to be a fight for control. Now, when Paul describes it perfectly in Galatians about this thing is a battle for control, the spirit is greater than the natural man. But we have to decide to side with the spirit and not the natural man. Jacob's hiding out, and it says, while he was there on the river Jabbok, that a man met him and began to wrestle. I absolutely love this passage because there is no explanation. We can say, go back, and we love to go back. Oh, it's God. He's wrestling with God. Are you, do you listen to what you're saying? <laughs> He's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with the Almighty. He's engaging with this unknown person who is only known at the end of the fight, not at the beginning of the fight. Wrestling, battling, which, by the way, I think we kind of think WWF, you know, you got WE. I mean, you got the ring, and you know there's this guy's jumping off. There are no ropes in this fight. <laughs> there's no bouncing, giving floor in this fight. Thank goodness there's no 300-pound man trying to kill me in this fight either. But there's this fight, and I picture this. I picture skinning. I picture blood. I picture bruises. I picture scrapes. I picture pain in this struggle. Why? Because if you wrestle, you're going to experience some of that. I, I picture this is on the ground. This is in some disinfected mat in a high school gymnasium. This is on the ground where rocks are and where grass is and where dirt is and where water is. Maybe they fell in the water. I don't know. But they wrestled all night long. Now, I want to tell you something. You talk about exhausted. The fights and the battles within can be absolutely exhausting. More exhausting than the physical. Well, this most beautiful part of it, we find God in the mud. As he asks him what your name is, he says, what is your name? My name is Jacob. And before he does, Jacob says this. It says that the, the angel at this point is saying, hello, this is what's happening. He reaches in and strikes the inside of his thigh. He can't move, but this is what I love. Jacob has a hold of him after he's hurt and says, I will not let you go after he's hurt unless you bless me. That's critical mass. That's the critical mass point. Then when you get hurt, are you still going to hold on? Listen to what David said. This is just a telling scripture, Psalm 69. For they persecute those you wound. He's talking to God. And talk about the pain of those you hurt. 
He wasn't talking about his sinful condition. I'm not saying God goes around hurting his kids. What I'm saying is this. God was doing something in, Jacob's, in David's life and in Jacob's life that was causing discomfort because in order for God to move it in alignment, he had to move it out of its current position. And in this moment, he received new identity. He received new hope. He received a future uh, expectation, so much so that when he got up, he had a limp. And when he meets Esau, I kind of picture this. They're twins, by the way. Isn't that ironic? One is hairy and one is not. Whether identical or otherwise, I don't know. But when he looks at him, he's not looking him through this way, but he looks through him. When you're at a limp, you favor your side. God gave him the confidence and changed his identity. You see, God is moving this all to identity-changing moments, moments that bring about absolute and complete change. For 2007, I'm not going to go into the thick version. We're going to pray here in a minute. For 2007, when my wife and I, you know, we'd been in ministry, I had a dream one night, and I don't believe in putting stock in every single dream I have. Lord, we would really be in trouble if every dream we had we were, man, you know, I mean, Oh, Lord Jesus. Dieter could tell you about the time I had one dream and Julia Roberts and Meg Ryan, and everybody was in it. And I thought, man, this is an awesome dream. Nothing dirty happened, but it was, <laughs> it was a great dream. But, um, but uh, in this dream, it was, I was, I was uh, I woke, literally, it was weird. I, I, like I opened my eyes in this dream, and I was in this forest. I was in this forest. It was nighttime in this forest, and I could just see moonlight in the, in the trees. And I was barefoot, and I had a shirt on, had some pants, had a white shirt on. And I was started walking through this forest, and I noticed as I walked in, there was this house in the middle of the forest. I didn't get this out of a movie. <laughs> so I'm watching this. I see this house. I'm looking around, seeing if anybody else is around. I don't see anybody else around. And I look, I notice the lights are on inside that house. So uh, I go up to it, and I just kind of walk in. It felt like I should just go into the house. So I step up the steps, and I'm noticing, I remember little details in that dream, that the doorway, there was no doors and there was no windows. Remember that the framing was worn like it had been there for a little bit. But it didn't look ugly and like it had been squatted in or something. It didn't look, it didn't look run down. I remember going in, and when I stepped inside, the light wasn't just on. It was real bright light, but I could see everything. And the floors were unfinished. They were wood. Laying out, but it's like they had never had any finish put on them. And the wind was blowing through the house, but there were no leaves. I, I, there, was nothing, there was no dirt in the house. There was nothing in the house. But there were curtains that were blowing. And uh, I just remember looking around and trying to absorb what this, what this place is. And I went into the hallway of this place, and I turned around, I turned to my right, and I saw this window, and I saw the curtains blowing. They were white curtains blowing, sheer, blowing in the wind. And I thought to myself, why aren't there any windows in this place? Why aren't there any doors in this place? And I turned around, and I saw a door at the end of the hallway. It wasn't a long hallway. And then that door was black. And I looked at that, and I looked out the window. I remember in the dream, I looked out the window, and the dark out there was different than the dark in that door. And I remember looking at it and saying, what is that? 
in my dream, I was thinking to myself, what is that? But I knew I had an alarmed feeling. And all of a sudden, I felt something behind me was pushing me to that door. And pushing me. And I was fighting. I was digging. I was trying to, but I had no shoes. I had no traction. I was trying to push back. Like, I couldn't see what was pushing me towards that door. And I was struggling, and I was trying to stay away, and I was saying, no, I don't want to go through that door. No, I don't want to go through that door. And this kept pushing me this way. I'll go out the window, but I don't want to go through that door. And the dark in that door was oozing on the edges. It wasn't physical, but I could see, like, it was just oozing off the edge. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was terrified. My heart was beating 100 miles an hour. I, I, I was like three or something in the morning, and I was so scared. I'm just being transparent with you. I was so scared. I did not want to go back to sleep. I got up. I thought, there's no way I'm going to go down and pick that dream up. So I went downstairs, and I started just staying up, watching some television, trying to forget about it, and it wouldn't leave me alone, and I started praying about it. God, you know, as this is just a crazy, wacky dream, then please take it out of my head. But if you're trying to tell me something, please tell me. Time went by, and I really got an answer. It didn't seem like. But I said some words that if I could to this day, I would take them back. With all my might, if I could time travel and go back and find myself, I would say, you idiot. Don't say those words. And I'm not saying it happened because I said it. I'm saying, I just wish I'd never said those words. And I prayed one day, and I was getting frustrated with God. And I said, you know what? I tell you what. You know what? I don't know what that is. And yeah, that freaks me out. But you know what? If I have to go through that, bring it on. Smoking like a true idiot that has no idea about what he's talking about. <laughs> I forgot about the dream. It would come back from time to time after I made that statement. I was praying one day, and I was praying about something completely different. And God spoke to my heart one day. He said, I'm going to put a wall of fire around your family. Okay, that's great. I have no idea what you're saying or what that means, but okay. I was at work, and I resigned district youth ministry, and I was working at this place, and I remember I was at a sales, a sales uh, making a sales call on somebody, came out, and I reached for my handle, and like that, God spoke to me and said, your family is in the palm of my hand. I started getting a little bit nervous. To make it short version so we can pray. I went on about a two-year spiral of not just being lost, but losing. I lost a lot. I lost part of myself. I went through some losses and went through some things. And I was reaching out just trying to find God to wrestle with. I would give anything to wrestle with God. I couldn't, not that God had forsaken me. I was trying to find the ground was trying to find the ground to stand on. I lost my self-respect. I didn't cheat on my wife, but I had to go against the grain of a lot of things that I value and believe. I didn't cheat, steal, rob, or kill. I lost my home, lost my self-respect, because what I've been taught, you don't run from your responsibilities. You fight till you can't fight, and that's what I did, and it wasn't enough. And I went on my way another way, I tried another ray. I was knock, knocking on doors, changing doors. I called a pastor up I hadn't seen in a while, a good friend of mine, to pray for me because I felt like I was losing. I felt like my faith was collapsing. It's not going to make it. 
And he was trying to give me this <laughs> devotion, I remember. And all I remember is, man, if you don't pray for me, I got to go to work eight hours. I don't know. I need help. If I don't get help, I'm not going to last. I don't know what's going to be in the end of these, these eight hours. This time continued on and on. The battle kind of just never really stalemated. But I'll never forget the time that when I made a connection and I put together that connection with uh, a family member. And man, the fight didn't stop. The fight was as boisterous and as raging as it ever was. But you know what? I felt like laughing because for the first time I felt like I could breathe. I felt like that I wasn't being suffocated, waking up in the middle of the night and seeing things move that aren't physical. And I felt powerless to do anything about it. Brother Tim, you need to do this. Oh, I did. <laughs> I did, but I needed help. And thank God I had somebody to partner with me and pray. Uncharted areas of your life, the loss of a son and daughter, the loss of a job you thought that you were going to have to retirement. Now it's gone. What do you do? A marriage. You never saw yourself divorced. Now here you are, some for the second time. Uncharted waters. How does this happen? Pick it up and just... Say the same mantra. Say the same things. No, God wants to go deep. God is trying to get a hold of you and switch your identity. He's not trying to sink you. He's trying to save you from yourself. Amen? Let's stand our feet and pray. I could go on. I've got more to say, but not enough time to say it. Let's just, actually I did. I should have used a, better, a little bit better. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to praise you. I want to thank you that you're the God. In the uncharted areas of our life, you're the grace that sustains us. And as you told the Apostle Paul, and you spoke to him, and you said, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to say that right now. Saints, as you'll just pray with me right now. I know we want to go, but let's just pray for a second. God's grace is adequate for your situation. You say, Tim, you don't understand. You know what I've been. I'm, you may be facing a, a court order, a thing in, with a day in court. I'm telling you, God's grace is sufficient for you and adequate for you in your situation. But Tim, you don't know, I've got an addiction. Nobody even knows about it, and I thought I've had a handle on it. Now it's gotten out of control in my life. I've got news for you, man. God's grace is adequate for your condition. Say, Tim, I was molested as a kid. I've been raped. I've been injured. I've been hurt. I've been run out on a rail. I got news. God's grace is adequate for your situation. Can we raise our hands in your own way and just pray to the Lord this morning? We're going to be dismissed in a moment. And out of your situation, I want you to cry out to God. And I just want you to ask him for grace because he will walk you step by step by step. You will see the light of day again. I'm prophesying to somebody this morning. Read, read Micah chapter 7. You will see the light again. I want you to seek him right now. Just raise your hands up with your heart if you have a need here this morning. Hallelujah. Don't you worry about what somebody else thinks. Maybe you're worried your family thinks you're losing it. Maybe you're worried about somebody else thinking that you don't have it together. God just says, bring the pieces. Lay him out in front of me. Let's sort through this. And my grace is going to see you through this struggle. It's going to see you through the uncharted area. You don't think you can make it. I got news. You can make it. You can survive. You can walk out on the other side. When you do, 
you're going to know him more than you've ever known him. Hallelujah. Father, bless your saints this morning. Thank you for your presence and worship. Thank you for your people. Pour out your spirit upon them. Bless them. Strengthen them. Those who have battles within that no one knows about yet. God, I pray right now. God, I thank you. You're not asking us to tie a rope on the end. Lord God, I pray that, Lord Jesus, we would grab hands with someone. Lord God, that we would unite, Lord, with someone. God, we would have a cadre if we can't have a community. In the name of Jesus, let there be one person who will believe with us to overcome our situation. In Jesus' name we pray. You are awesome, awesome God. Thank you for it. Let's give him praise one more time before we leave. Come on, let's give him praise one more time. Hallelujah. Yes, it's going to rain outside. Praise God. Be dismissed. We have life groups tonight. Please make a point to get in one. Bless one another. Have a wonderful day. If you're in getting the game, we are going to be starting getting the game shortly. We're going to have some-